Cultivate Simple, episode 57, Saving Time in the Kitchen. I'd rather be a farmer I'd rather work the land I'd rather see the mountainsides I'd rather see your I'd rather swim the ocean I'd rather not pretend Welcome to Cultivate Simple, an honest and unrehearsed discussion about trying to live a more simple life. This is episode 57, and today we're talking about saving time in the kitchen. As we've talked about before, we, uh, we're always looking for ways to expedite our processes. I'll yes. look for any excuse to say processes. Um, process... You know, processes. I thought I thought you know it'd be even better is prosai. <laughs> what's the what's the plural of Prius? I don't know. Would it be Priuses or Pris Prisai? It's probably Priuses. Probably. <laughs> We've had this discussion about how maybe it's like moose. Since maybe our last name is Morris, single or multiples. Do you say Morris's, like E-S, or do you apostrophe S that? No, you I mean, just it's... apostrophe it at the end. No, but that would be possessive, right? Yeah. So how do you say, like, multiple, multiple Morris's? Morris's. <laughs> you say multiple like... Morris's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the multiple Morris's. Oh, okay. Uh, where were we? Yes. Cultivate simple. An honest and Maybe unrehearsed Morris discussion. Morris I? Yeah. It could be. Morrissey? He was a singer, but that was S-E-Y. Processes, so maybe it's Morrissey's. I don't know. It's my name, but I don't know. Um, it's the same reason whenever I introduce myself. This is this is a weird thing that happens to me. A lot of times I'll introduce myself, and people say, oh, what's your name? And I'll say, my name is Brian. And they'll say, Ryan? Yeah. It happens all it does. the time. It's not. I know people who still call you Ryan. It's not a... And 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 uncon- when I say Brian, does do I not pronounce the B enough? I don't think so. I'll have to listen. I back. mean, I think you pronounce it fine. I'll have to listen but back then, to the podcast to see. But then I know your name is Brian. So my name is Brian. I feel like saying maybe you should say Brian. Brian. It's weird. I'm actually I'm getting a, a for listeners in case you don't know, which I don't see how you couldn't. I've been curling recently, and um. <laughs> I'm actually going to get a one of the little, you can get a name tag at the club mm-hmm. because you introduce yourself before each match to all the mm-hmm. players. And then afterwards you sit and you, you, you broomstick or broomstack. Broomstack. Yeah, bro- you do broomstacking, which is basically you sit around and uh, chat for a little bit with everybody afterwards and have a drink. Um, um, and yeah, the... Uh, since you have to know everybody's name, you know, it's just easier to have a, a name tag because mm-hmm. that's how I use. I use everybody's name tags and just look down and pretend like, you know, I've been best friends with them forever because <laughs> I am terrible, terrible, terrible with names. A lot of times it takes me someone to introduce themselves three or four a times. times. Yeah. I'm terrible with names, too. I can remember lots of other insignificant facts. I can remember what people are wearing. I can't remember names, but I'm a very like visual 
memory person. Mm-hmm. So if I see something, I remember it. But so hearing an isn't help you out. Hearing isn't always usually because I'm probably not paying attention. My yeah. mind's always thinking about something else. Do you think too it might have something to do with? Um, this is going to sound really terrible and make me sound super shallow, but with knowing that you're not going to need to know that person in the future. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's part of my problem. If I get introduced to somebody, but I know I will never see this person again. It's like, you know, my hard drive has limited space, so I don't store that information, yeah. you know? It's like I keep it in RAM, the the, yeah. the short-term memory, so that I can say, hey, you know, it's good to meet you, so-and-so, but I walk away from that, and I, I couldn't tell you somebody's name. Mm. Maybe. I think I don't our know. minds can do that. I have limited storage. Ends. I think that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I have trouble remembering my own name, let alone others. <laughs> What's your name again? I don't know. Ryan. Ryan, exactly. <laughs> oh, good callback. Yeah. Especially today. We, uh, here in Maine, we got hit with the storm. Electra. What's the deal with naming I don't know, but storm? I really hate it because it's kind of stupid because it's just winter weather, really. Yeah. I mean, you live in an area with winter, so getting snow is not like a big weather event. So it kind of annoys me. I think it's just all about being able to sell extra ads because if they name it, then it sounds... Scary. It's yeah. like hurricanes. Oh, yeah, exactly. There was actually... It dis- makes northern people sound like wussies there's actually a discussion about this on weather channel um i was looking at you know looking at the forecast and so on and they had one of their videos that of course you have to watch a minute and a half commercial in order mm-hmm. to see you know if you're going to get nailed by snow and in the comments they actually discussed this because somebody said you know why do they name storms and then somebody responded with yeah it's stupid but then somebody else said well it's easier to say do you remember Winter Storm Electra rather than, uh, you know... The Blizzard of 76. The Blizzard of 76, oh. which actually I think sounds but better. But see, that sounds, that's because you only remembered something that was a real weather event. Nobody talks about... It it's of snow. 10 inches of snow. Yeah. You, I mean, that's not out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. So it's not a blizzard. It's not a big deal. I just think everybody likes to have... I don't know, it's drama. Everybody likes too much drama. One guy made a comment on there about... Well, here in Cincinnati, if we get an inch of an inch of snow, then everybody freaks out. So it is a weather event for us. And I felt like responding because we lived in Cincinnati for oh, five years. Terrible. You know, if it rains a quarter of an inch, Nobody people freak drive. out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's like that in other cities, City but it seemed like weird. Cincinnati was terrible. So anyway, yeah, Cincinnati was bad. That's uh, so that's that's the Maybe weather. Maybe it's uh, update. grocery stores that want these things named. Because everybody always goes out and stocks up on, you know, milk and bread. Milk so, and bread. Why is it always milk and bread, Maybe they too? wanted to name. Everybody wants to make French toast. French toast. I mean, that's a good story. Well, you'd think eggs right? would go out, too. Yeah, no. I guess everybody already There'd be a run on eggs. cinnamon. But, yeah, maybe it's grocery stores. They started not selling as much milk and bread, so. so Although in Pittsburgh, I hear it's beer and bread. Really? Yeah, I've got a friend in Pittsburgh, and that's what she said. Huh. That's, Makes sense. That's, that's better, I guess, for some can't people. Can't make French toast out of that. No. But you'd enjoy your toast. That's right. So there you go. Um, so yeah, we got uh, we got some weather. Some weather. 10 inches of yep. snow and uh, 
it's been cold, cold, cold. Time. And they're predicting that this Monday or Tuesday, we're going to have negative 22 as a low. That's cold. That seems a little... That's chilly. Uh, that seems kind of weird. That's really out of character with kind of the rest of the weather for the week. So who knows? Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's... Cold, it's but it uh it it was we the first first major snow we had we've had and so I got the plow truck out and uh which is our 1967 Jeep J3000 Gladiator pickup truck with dump bed four wheel drive all the fixings and lots of rust and lot well not yeah not a, a lot of rust. rust but yeah a um, lot of rust and now a bad alternator yes so that's not fun I actually had the the wipers going it's an old truck so all old technology which i love because it's very simple there's only you know to troubleshoot it you don't need a computer science degree um but uh as i was plowing i had the heater running and the um the windshield wipers going and recently it's just it seems like it hasn't had quite enough power to get it started so i've had to um <coughs> excuse me plug it into the battery charger when I'm not using it just so I'm it's ready to go. And I I was thinking it was the battery. Um so I was getting ready to actually buy a new battery for the truck, but um today as I was driving uh as I was plowing and I had the wipers on and the heater going, which would run a fan um for the heater and then of course the wiper motor and I kept watching the battery gauge and it just kept going down and down and down and down and down and <laughs> finally got to you know, the red area and then it stalled. Um, and then it just no battery left whatsoever. So, but if I didn't run those things, because then I went out later after I charged up the battery and plowed a little bit more and the battery gauge didn't move except for when I started it. So now I'm, I'm sort of sold on the fact that it's the alternator. Mm -hmm. Um, but this brings me to my, my geeky corner because there are so many things I think in what was what was it that your friend said on Facebook about plowing the driveway? Oh, see if you can find that. Um, because there's so many things that we can do ourselves. I think the one of the one of the self sufficiency kind of things that we've lost in society today is doing things for yourself that you know you can just as easily pay somebody else to do for you. But then, of course, you have to work to make that money to pay the person to to do that. So Susie and I do a lot of our own repairs on things. Um, we really try to give it a good try to fix it ourselves if we can um, mm-hmm. before we, you know, call a repair. I mean, I, I don't remember the last time we called like a repairman mm-hmm. or a plumber or... Those types of things. I mean, obviously, there are some jobs that you shouldn't right. try to tackle. We co- um, we had a plumber come in and do our upstairs bathroom when we right. put it in at our house in Ohio, just because it was but we kind needed of a, speed. We needed speed. We needed and, to get it yeah, done. Yeah, it's some. It's a lot slower sometimes when you're doing it yourself mm-hmm. um, and learning as you go. So, but in the same way, you get those skills then, exactly. so that you can do it the next time. And while we had the plumber there, I watched him like a hawk to see what he did and how mm-hmm. he did it so that uh, I can at least learn from the experience. Um, but as far as like the alternator is concerned, swapping out the alternator, I know that's something I can do because I've done it before. Um, and I know how to do it because I watched my grandpa do it when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Uh, it's really not that hard to do. It's a couple bolts. Um, 
and you loosen it up, you take the belt off, you put the new alternator in, plug it in the way it needs to go, and uh, put the belt back on. Or, as I'm going to do, uh, there's there's two belts in the truck, and I'm going to swap out one of them. I might swap out both of them while I'm in there, just for mm-hmm. just for fun. Um, just to do it, because they're cheap, and yeah. it's kind of one of those things that... You know, you're getting in there and you're loosening up these bolts that are 40 years old. And, you know, do you really want to do that in mm-hmm. another you know, couple months when one mm-hmm. of the belts shreds? Um, so, but what was the quote from your friend? He said, I've heard you can exchange money for goods and services, but the manor in me just won't let me pay someone else to do something I can do myself. Yeah. And that's when Susie read that tonight, it just reminded me of this, this alternator situation, but it brings me to Brian's geeky corner. Um, because, uh, my friend, uh, and neighbor, Matt, uh, BJ, who we always talk about her husband, they're fixing up a room for their kids and he's done a lot of the work himself. Um, he did have somebody come in and hang the drywall, but, uh, I noticed that there was a door in the room when we went over the other day and I was wondering if he was going to hang it himself or not. And tonight he posted a picture and, uh, it said the internet is an amazing thing. Five minutes on YouTube. And now I know how to hang a door. Um, so I wanted to, to point out, or I, I don't, it's one of those things that you don't think about, but once you discover it, you're, you just always go to YouTube. So Mm -hmm. whenever, we run into something that we don't know how to do. And it can be anything from, uh, I mean, I learned how to skin squirrel uh, or to clean squirrel um, Mm -hmm. by watching YouTube videos and by putting together all the ideas. And that's kind of one of my tips for this is that there are a lot of uh, people that have a lot of opinions and make a lot of videos on YouTube. So if there's something you want to do, go to YouTube do a search for whatever it is. I'm sure you'll find some videos, but watch three or four videos on how to do something. Take the best ideas from all those, put them together, and then and then mm-hmm. give it a try. Um, my other tip is to to save the videos. If you sign up for, or if you have a, a Gmail account, uh, Google owns YouTube, and so once you sign into that, um, you can actually save those videos either in playlists uh, to refer back to later, and it's good if you found one that you like, and then you can look too under that person's account to see if they have other ones yep. like plumbing or whatever. Yeah, and it's a it's a great way to learn, either relearn yeah, skills is. like refresh because I I just um I changed the brakes on the car before we went back to Ohio. They were starting to squeal, and so I knew they needed to be changed again. And I've done it two times now, and uh. You know, so I mean, I've done it. I have the experience, but mm-hmm. I went on YouTube and, and rewatched the video that I had saved just to refresh my memory, make sure I wasn't missing anything. And it was 10 minutes that I spent watching this video. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that little trick that, yeah. you know, if you do it this, it then it makes it easier. Or the guy shared a uh, a tip that about using a uh, like a bungee cord, like a yeah, a bungee cord to to hang the brake caliper on the mm-hmm. uh, on the spring while you're fixing it, so it doesn't put you know tension on the uh, on the brake line. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that I remember that because the first time I did it, I didn't do that, and I set it on a, a jack stand, and mm-hmm. it was kind of precariously balanced there. And so, so yeah, so that's that's my geeky corner for this week. Is is uh. To go to YouTube. Oh, and to you can find all kinds. If things. you want to learn how to 
crochet or knit. You know, I have a friend that asked me, she's like, where, how should I, how should I learn how to knit? And I'm like, just search on YouTube, find some videos. And there, I mean, there are tons of people that put them up there and there really is a great resource. And if you know how to do something, make a video and put it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, especially if you have a blog or something, it's a great way to get publicity for, mm-hmm. uh, for your blog or for your website. So that's the Geeky Corner for the night. But that brings us on to what's for dinner. What was for dinner? Venison chili. Ah, uh, venison chili. I actually made it because we were going to, you're supposed to have a fire department potluck. Yep. So I made it yesterday. Um, and I put it on the wood stove during the day and it smelled great all day and then they ended up canceling the potluck for the fire department because there was another community dinner a fundraiser for a local guy who has cancer so we went to that instead um so we smelled delicious chili all day but then we ate turkey and stuffing at the community (laughs) dinner (laughs) but uh so we had it tonight we threw a little pot on the wood stove to warm up earlier this evening and uh one tip i will mention when it comes to chili, is that I never use chili powder from the store, like the regular generic chili powder, because I find it's, I don't know, chili powder is one of those things that I think has a really weird flavor. So I don't like to add it to stuff. I prefer using uh, pepper-specific uh, powders, or I like to use paprika instead of chili powder. Mm-hmm. Um and I keep a couple different kinds of paprika in the in my pantry. I keep roasted paprika, which is probably the closest to a chili powder. Um, I keep sweet paprika, hot paprika, Hungarian, and um, I also keep smoked paprika powder, which I like to use as well. But in my chili, I usually use some smoked paprika, some regular roasted paprika, and I also use smoked chipotle powder. And then I'll use some chipotle peppers as well. I just find that they have a better flavor for chili as far as that's concerned rather than the red chili. And then I add some of my own peppers that I pickle and preserve like uh, roasted. I fire roast a lot of peppers and then I pickle them a little bit in some white vinegar and some olive oil. And so I added some of those, but that's my tip for chili. Because I don't know, the, the, the generic chili powder that you get, just like chili powder, I think it's kind of weird sometimes. And it yeah. has like a really intense but weird flavor. Mm-hmm. So I prefer something that has a lot of flavor, but it's unique. Mm-hmm. But anyways. Well, and that makes your chili a little bit different too. Yeah. You know, it's not not like anybody else makes it, makes it yours. Right. Um. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned the the dinner too, because I wanted to talk just briefly about that, um, just in relation to building community. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the town over from us, there's a a farmer that has uh, throat cancer, and so um, another uh, person from the community uh, that mm-hmm. we know uh, put together a basically just a dinner for him and had different people. This is just one of those examples of a community coming together to do something good for one of its residents. Um, the, the wife of the guy that has cancer is actually a holistic vet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the area. And, you know, a lot of people know them. Uh, and so they decided to put on, or uh, the friend that we have decided to put on a dinner for him to do as a fundraiser. And um, it was really well attended. I was pretty impressed. Mm-hmm. But he, he started out by contacting people in the community to make food for it. So all the food was donated. Most of it was, you know, local, organic, because you know, he came up to us while we were standing in line for the food and said, you know, the tr- the uh, turkey and the ham um, were from, he told us what farm they're from. And, you mm-hmm. know, all of the, uh, they had just sides, yeah, squash. tons of squash and potatoes and stuffing mm-hmm. and uh, cranberry sauce and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and most of it was local, uh, most organic. Homemade. And, yeah, and homemade pies. Just, I mean, probably 30 different pies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the they had the Cub Scouts there selling raffle tickets. And, yeah. Um, so it was just a huge community event. And there, there were probably, when we were there, um, at least 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it was just a neat thing for the whole community to come together to support this guy. Um, and that's something, again, I think that's something that a lot of communities have lost is that mm-hmm. um, taking care of your own mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, too many times we rely on the the government to do that now. You right. know, that some nameless, faceless, anonymous person. And, yeah. And uh, the lady, they they couldn't make it to the dinner, the couple, um, but they sent uh, someone to represent them and Mm -hmm. said, you know, that you are my family. Mm -hmm. This community is my family. And that's that's really what it's all about. So that was kind of a a neat happening this past week. Um, So let's uh, let's get into the topic for the evening, and that's saving time in the kitchen. Yes. as as we've mentioned before on the show, we're we're big into analyzing our process eye. Um, <laughs> our, whenever we do something, we're always looking at it and trying to figure out ways to make it um, better and faster. Not necessarily to uh, because we're you know efficiency gurus or anything like that, mm-hmm. but especially if it's something that you do often. Um, Spending less time on it is always better because then you have time to spend on things that you want to do mm-hmm. rather than, you know, on the things that you have to do. So whether it's me making coffee, um, I have a certain order that I do things in because that's the most efficient way to do them. So, you know, we drink espresso. So as the coffee is brewing, I will wash out the uh wash out my uh, washcloth that I'm using, mm-hmm. you know, as the uh, milk is frothing. I'll do something else. So I just there are different steps that you can do to make things more efficient and therefore take less time. Mm-hmm. So that's we kind of had this idea of of talking about it. And right. Susie and came up a ton, with a. I've gotten a ton of questions about this too. People kind of saying, "Hey, can you, you share any tips how do you on do how so do you, <laughs> particularly if you want to cook a lot of more items from scratch?" Um, it's good if you develop a few techniques kind of in the kitchen mm-hmm. um, in order to save a little bit of time. So, And every little bit helps right. here and there. So, so we're going to share a few of those things. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Um, I think I want to start by saying one of the keys, I think, to 
being more efficient in the kitchen is to minimize in the kitchen. So get rid of all of the extra crap that you don't need. Um, appliances in particular. Uh, the more streamlined your kitchen is, the easier it's going to be to do things quickly. Um, you don't have to sort through a whole drawer full of stuff to find what you need. Um, because you don't have a ton of extra stuff that you don't need. Basically, you keep the tools that you use all of the time and you don't have stuff that you don't need. Um, cluttering it up and making you waste time by looking for things you do. And sometimes this means you can't do certain things, but you learn kind of to work around them where you just work with what you have, which sometimes takes a little bit more time. But the... Um, the savings from not having the clutter. Yeah. More than makes Evens up for out it. in the end. Yeah. So, and a good example of this is measuring spoons and measuring cups. I have one set. So I have four measuring cups. You know, a cup, a half, a third, and a quarter. You know, you don't need the two thirds. You don't need the three quarter because you have a quarter. So I've mm -hmm. got four measuring cups and they nest and they take up the tiniest little bit of space on my kitchen cabinet and they're always right there and ready and as soon as i use them i rinse them out if i just use flour rinse them out dry them out put them back in the drawer or i wash them out you know if it's something sticky like maple syrup and then i rinse them out and i put them back in the drawer so they're always there um and it's really not a big issue to if you need you know to use the same cup multiple times while you're cooking something it's not a big issue to just rinse it out as opposed to, and or I really not was rinse it out, depending on what it is. Right. I mean, if you measure out flour, right. you don't you really, don't need, really to... need to. But I was thinking about this when I was back at Thanksgiving cooking in my mom's kitchen. How my mom has this affinity for collecting crap that she <laughs> doesn't need and doesn't use in her kitchen, and it just is frustrating to work in her kitchen. So, like her measuring cups are a prime example, and that's one reason I m mentioned this specifically because she has this little this box. Up in one of her cabinets. It's like her baking cabinet where she keeps all of her baking stuff. And there's this box in there and it has all of her measuring cups. And my mom has probably 15 different sets of measuring cups. Now that's, folks, that's 15 sets. Sets, yeah. And it's everything from... <laughs> and it's true. I mean, and she has the weird sizes. So yeah, she's got a two-thirds measuring cup and then she's got a quarter and then... And a five-eighths. <laughs> exactly. And just a ridiculous amount. And then she just kind of throws them all in this box. So when you need a measuring cup, you have to pull out this box and sort through it trying to find that one that you want. Now a cup, generally, you can see and grab right away because they're pretty easy, but sometimes they're buried in the bottom underneath other stuff. So, I mean, it's completely frustrating. And her measuring spoons are the same way. She has a cup on the counter. And she probably has six or seven different sets of measuring cups. And everything. She's got, you know, every little measurement that you can have in a spoon. So, she's even got that set that has, like, a pinch and a... A dash and a... Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, I just pinch spices with my fingers yeah. and throw it in the pan if I need to. But... So then you can never find the one that you need. Um, whereas I have one set, you know, so it comes with the tablespoon, the teaspoon, the half a teaspoon, the quarter teaspoon, and the eighth, and that's it. Um, so definitely paring down to the bare minimum in those areas really helps. Mm -hmm. um, and kitchen utensils, you know. And that's where you get rid of things that are annoying. My mom has a, wi a couple 
no, oddly enough, she just has one whisk, but it's the worst whisk you've ever seen in your life or tried to use <laughs> because she got it at this set of like decorative things, you know, that you're supposed to hang up and they're supposed to look nice, but they don't work really well. So she has these utensils that are supposed to look nice, but they don't work. So I don't know what the point of having them is, but the whisk, the handle is super heavy, so you can't balance it or set it in your in your pot or your bowl because it just flips out onto the floor and then it sprays whipped cream or whatever you're whisking <laughs> eggs all over the kitchen um so i don't know that's kind of frustrating what would you say are so your... i have one ladle in my kitchen and yes sometimes i use a ladle so like tonight i measured out chili but then i had some mold cider on the stove so i needed the label so it took me you know 10 seconds to wash it and then I used it for the mold cider. But I don't have a whole... I know exactly where my ladle is. So all I have to do... I don't even have to look for it sometimes. I just reach over and grab it out of my container of... You know, I may have 10 or 12 kitchen utensils. Um, I have a decent number of wooden spoons of different shapes and sizes that I use for different things. But yeah, it's just one of those... So if you had to pick three items in the kitchen that you use most often, what would you say those are? A cast iron skillet, which if you need one thing in the kitchen, and that's the way I am too about that, have a cast iron skillet and then you don't need a toaster and then you don't need, I mean, you don't need a ton of things if you have a good cast iron skillet. Um, Definitely a cast iron skillet, probably a good chef's knife and... I guess the first two. I'm wondering yeah. what the the third one is. For a third one, I would probably have to guess. I have this. I have these little cups, um, that are exactly a cup. Mm. Um, they're these little false graph like coffee cups, kind of, but they measure exactly a cup. So you could use that to drink your tea out of, but you could also use it as your measuring spoon. Mm. Um. So it's a handy little thing. So when we go camping, I don't take measuring cups with me. I take one of these little cups and then I use it for my coffee, but I also use it for measuring if I need to. So it's a handy little uh, handy little thing to have because it could take the place of a whole set of measuring cups if you wanted it to. But, okay. Yeah. Good answers. Good answers. You answered correctly. You yeah. win the prize. So next tip yeah. after minimize your kitchen crap next tip is um minimize your cooking okay so don't believe that don't believe that with your meal you have to have two vegetables and a fruit and a grain and a meat or whatever you know Mm. and you have to have this plate that has all the little compartments of different food items you mean on the parts it. of the food pyramid exactly don't believe that <laughs> because that definitely if you feel like you have to have all that for a meal it can be kind of overwhelming and sometimes you can incorporate all of that into one dish um so don't let that make you think that you have to make every dinner like crazy or have all of that stuff um, and remember that spices can account for vegetables, so it's another good tip. Nice. All right, so what else? You probably don't have any tips, do you? 
You've got a practical one for uh, making biscuits here, which... I do, and I was thinking about this when I made some biscuits a while back. And making biscuits is one of those things people used to do all the time. And I made biscuits, but, you know, in order to save time, and you can do this with scones and other things as well, um, don't roll them out and cut them out into a circle. So, you know, a lot of the recipes will tell you to roll it out on your counter, on a floured counter, and then you use a biscuit cutter or a round cookie cutter or whatever to cut your biscuits. Um, And then you bake them. I bake my biscuits like scones so i take the dough and i throw it in the middle of my cast iron um baking pan that i use it's like a pizza pan and then i pat it out in a circle and then i just take my knife and cut it in like a pie into Mm -hmm. wedges and then you take your knife and you slide it under each piece and you pull them apart and then you bake them like that so you have triangular shaped biscuits but you didn't have to get flour all over your counter you didn't have to get a cookie cutter or a biscuit cutter dirty you don't have to clean up the counter you don't have to wash your cookie cutter or your um biscuit cutter and then you don't waste the flour on the counter either so it's one of those little things that i do and i don't know how many other people think but those are the kinds of things that you need to think about like how can i i'm transferring these to a pan and i'm rolling them out on the counter how can i make this how can i eliminate these steps if possible mm-hmm. um so and like cookies so if you're making cookies um you could always just make a big sheet cookie instead of making individual cookies i mean that's a way to kind of streamline things and not have to um it would bake in less time or not necessarily in less time it would but you wouldn't be doing multiple batches on multiple cookie sheets so you'd only dirty up one cookie sheet Um, things like that, that are ways to save a little bit of time here and there. And those are the things that you need to focus on trying to figure out how to do and do the things that work for you, depending on the dishes that you cook all the time. So the next one is kind of what I, uh, alluded to with the, the coffee is, uh, streamlining when you're cooking. Um, Mm -hmm. and this, I think for me as far as cooking is concerned, this is one of the harder ones. So as you're talking through this one, if you have any tips on, uh, and this, you you say more of like, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and explain this one? Then I'll ask my question. (laughs) What about? While you're cooking one thing. Right. So one thing that I often do is while I'm cooking one thing, so say I'm making chili, like the other day I was making chili. So I cut up a bunch of onions for my chili and I threw them in the pot to kind of brown them. And then I thought to myself, what else am I going to cook this week? Do I need onions cooked um, or onions cut up? A lot of times when I cook onions, I just cook extra onions because then I have cooked onions in the fridge and then it makes it easy to make omelets. Um, You can always use or a pizza later on in the week. It's always nice to have a few quick things like that. Potatoes. I often don't cook twice, cut up twice as many potatoes and boil them if I... Um, I'm doing that so that I have some in the fridge for hash browns, that kind of stuff. And sometimes I'll start or I'll cook two different things at once. Because a lot of times when you're in the kitchen anyways, there's a lot of downtime while you're waiting. You know, so you throw your onions in your pan and you have five minutes until they're sweated enough or soft enough to then add the garlic or 
whatever. So you're just kind of sitting there. And a lot, sometimes I wash dishes if I need to wash dishes. But a lot of times I'll start another meal and maybe make two pots of something at once. So I can make soup um, while I'm making something else. And then I have two different things made and done. And you can either throw it in the freezer or you can eat one one night and one the next night. So you're not eating leftovers the next night. Um, if you don't want to and can alternate that way, but make use of that time when you're in the kitchen because it really doesn't take much longer. Um, and then you're not wasting that time. I like to kind of clean up a little bit sometimes when I am sitting there waiting around too. And then it's not some big chore that happens um, once a week or whatever. So make use of that downtime when you're waiting for things to happen. But I will recommend, I often set a timer. So I don't get caught up in something and forget and end up burning what you're cooking. Um, so, you know, I'm cooking an egg in the morning and I'll s set a timer for a minute or two minutes. And then I'll go do something else all by washing dishes. And then when the timer goes off, I know it's time to pull the eggs out. So another tip to keep you on track as you are, if you're trying to do the making the most of that time. Yep. Let me see. And that one was a little bit different than the direction I thought you were going to go with that one. So oh. my question is irrelevant. No. <laughs> no, th but that's okay. <laughs> okay. So moving on to the next one. Yes. And I've talked about this one before in particular. Um, and I think a lot of people are hoping that I turn this into a an ebook. Mm. Um, learn to make a few recipes that are easily adapted to seasonal and a variety of ingredients um so crepes learn how to make crepes because if you can make a crepe you can stuff it with just about anything you can make them sweet with fruit and whipped cream you can stuff them with ham and cheese uh eggs peppers i mean a whole multitude of things and they're really great too because you can fold them up and eat them on the run so you can fold them up in some wax paper or a paper towel and then you can eat them as you go out the door mm -hmm. if you fold them up you know in the half and then in, like in quarters kind of in half again um if you've ever bought a crepe at the farmer's market or anything like that that's usually what they do but it's a great way to this is a great recipe to learn because mm -hmm. you can stuff them with all kinds of stuff because it can not only be you know something it, it could be a full meal or it could even be exactly. a dessert yeah you know, if you made it something sweet, apple yeah. pie filling, that kind of thing, and put it in there, a little whipped cream on it, and now it's a nice dessert, yeah. even when you have people over for a, you know, a nice dinner. Right, yeah. Um, and then you can make savory crepes as well. So I have a book, and um, a cookbook, and the recipe, I think she uses buckwheat flour and a little bit of uh, beer in them to make a savory, which I th a savory crepe, which would be really good stuffed with some peppers, I think, and some cheese and... Um, you know, you can make sweet crepes, you can make crepes with, uh, some freshly ground white wheat flour and maybe a little cinnamon and, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a wide variety of things you can do with the crepe and they seem really intimidating, but they're really easy. I mean, essentially you throw everything into a blender and you blend it up and then one thing with crepes is the batter is better if you let it sit. So whip it up the night before, throw it in the fridge overnight or leave it on the counter if you're not, uh. A typical American and don't worry about, you know, eggs not being refrigerated. Usually I just leave <laughs> it sitting on the counter. Um, and then you can make your crepes in the morning and they take literally like 30 seconds or 
a minute each. They take no time whatsoever to cook the actual crepe, and then you can just have things to put in them, um, like a smorgasbord style for people. But, yeah. Omelets is another one of these things that are kind of like crepes. Learn to master making good omelet. And omelets are perfect for getting rid of all those little bits of leftovers you have. So really, you can stuff anything into an omelet. Like, I was thinking that um, chili we had for supper. If I only had one little cup left, not enough for two people. There are a lot of people that throw that kind of stuff out. Um, but that would be great, an omelet. Put mm-hmm. two spoonfuls in each omelet and then some... Um, cheddar cheese and some chives in there that would be a fantastic omelet a chili cheese omelet um for breakfast or for dinner you know maybe you don't fancy that kind of thing for breakfast well then have it for dinner one night you know have a salad on the side if you want something green and they're just such a great way you can pretty much throw anything in an omelet and make use of that's why i keep i often keep uh mushrooms and onions cooked and peppers and that kind of thing in the fridge because if we need a quick supper, often it's an omelet stuffed with vegetables and cheese, mm-hmm. um, and it's easy and quick and super healthy. Yep. And soup, I think soup is one of those things that everyone should master how to make because it's really simple, and yet it's one of those things you can make and freeze for the most part, unless they're potatoes. That's a tip. Don't freeze potatoes. They don't freeze really well and they get mm-hmm. kind of weird in the freezer. But pretty much any other kind of soup that doesn't have potatoes in it, make vegetable soup and then throw a potato in when you warm it up. I mean, potatoes take well, not much time at all to cook. But if you have some already cooked up in the fridge, then you can just throw those in there too. But mastering the art of making soup is something that I think is super important as far as saving time in the kitchen because a lot of times that's chopping up some things throwing it in a pan and letting it sit on the back burner or if you have a crock pot you can throw it in your crock pot um i especially like it here because i can throw it on the wood burner and then it kind of simmers away all day while i'm outside working or um whatever and uh it's just perfect Mm -hmm. absolutely a perfect meal for saving time in the kitchen and there's such a wide variety of flavors that you can have that it's really hard to get sick of it you know because you can have a really hearty chili that's thick and got meaty if you like meat or lots of beans in it then you can have really light vegetable soups that are really brothy or you could have a loaded baked potato soup that's you know thick and creamy and has lots of interesting toppings on it or you know a corn chowder or something like that chicken noodle soup or chicken vegetable soup um really it's just one of those things that it's not difficult to master it takes a little bit of time to figure out what flavors go really well together and so that when you have a meat or a vegetable you know what broth would go best with it and what um what vegetables and spices and herbs Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff all kind of go together so your soups don't end up tasting all the same and i think that's that's one big thing a lot of times we've especially when you go out uh you know all the times that we go out to restaurants um but sometimes you'll go out to a restaurant and you'll get a soup and it's just bland there's just no yeah flavor to it and so again you know adding in spices not only for the health benefits mm-hmm. but oh Oh, it's it, a six, it's o'clock, six o'clock whistle. whistle. <laughs> Hang on a second. Not only for the health benefits, but also for the 
uh, just the flavor, just yeah. to give soups flavor, because that again can make your your soup unique to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And learning which spices go with which foods is one of the things I wanted to talk about too, as far as saving time in the kitchen, because then you know, and you don't have to look up recipes because you just kind of know that you can throw these things together and they're going to taste good together. Like sage and chicken, for example, or sage and pumpkin or squash always taste really good together. Um, And that works well. Um, That comes into play. I want to talk about learning how to make hash as well, which is a really um, great way to make a quick meal, use what you've got on hand, and make a one-pot kind of healthy meal. I mean, essentially, hash is throw stuff in a skillet and cook it all together. (laughs) Generally, ours starts with a meat so it's going to be a sausage, uh, maybe some bacon or some ham or some turkey or chicken, something like that. And then you throw in some sorts of vegetables that you think are going to go with that. So sometimes say I'm doing um, a meat, I'll season it with taco seasoning. I'll put in onions, peppers, garlic, maybe some corn, um, lots of green peppers and onions. And then on top of that, we'll throw maybe some cheddar cheese and some uh, freshly diced tomatoes, maybe some freshly diced jalapenos and some cilantro on top of that. So then you have kind of a Mexican-themed hash, but then you can also do one that's... uh, I make one that has zucchini. Um, You could do eggplant as well. Zucchini and eggplant. And then I put onions and lots of tomatoes and oregano and olive oil and garlic. And then a lot of times I'll put some Parmesan or Romano cheese on top of it. And then I'll drizzle some pesto on top. Um, And then you have essentially, it's essentially the same meal, but it's completely different because Mm -hmm. of the ingredients that you use. And that's where learning what works together um comes into play because you could do one that has potatoes like leeks and potatoes and mushrooms and some thyme and maybe a little bit of white wine in there as well um and that would be really good so or you could do one that has sage breakfast sausage and some butternut squash um and that would be delicious as well. Maybe a little bit of butter in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could do seafood. Pretty much the possibilities are endless as far as throw it all in a cast iron skillet. And you have to learn, you know, how long things need to go in so you know what order to put in them. It's kind of like making a stir fry. But learning to master these few basic things opens the option for so much. And I think one of the big things, too, is just uh, being willing to try different things, um, because some of the some of the combinations you mentioned might not, you know, at, at first glance sound good or like they would go together. But I think it's, um, you know, being willing to experiment and say, all right, we've got these leftovers or we've got this leftover, you know, hamburger, like you were mentioning the the taco mm-hmm. uh, uh, hash. Um or the, the kind of Mexican, you know, taco hash. So we've got this leftover hamburger. What could we do with it? Well, we could make hamburgers or, you know, you can make this awesome meal that, you know, your family's going to ask for again. Right. That incorporates um, a ton of seasonal vegetables or other things that you have sitting around. Um, and so, spices. And again, yeah. that, that adds the health benefits and 
and the flavor. And it's so, all, you only dirty one pot, one pan because it's a hash. So it's all cooked in one skillet, um, which helps because then there's not as much cleanup and it's mm-hmm. just useful in streamlining. And then you eat it in a, you know, we have these like restaurant soup bowls that we eat this kind of thing out of. So then you have a bowl and a spoon and a pan to wash out. And that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, learning to do one pot things or casseroles, those kinds of things are really um, key. And the whole trying different flavors, because we had last fall, we were having a ton of people coming over for dinner every week. And in order to just streamline things, I made pizza every time someone came over. So once a week, we were eating pizza. Um, and that's one of those things. Everybody pretty much likes pizza. So everybody loved it. And you can make a generic pizza that everybody likes. But then I also would make interesting pizzas. So I, one week I made a pizza with butternut squash on it. So I used butternut squash and I think I used a sheep's milk cheese on it and, um, sprinkled some sage on top. And then I used a little bit of, I made sage brown butter to put on the pizza instead of like a red sauce. Um, and it was fantastic. And at first people were like, hmm, butternut squash on a pizza. That's kind of weird. But then it was a huge hit (laughs) and they ate the whole pizza and uh, ate it above the other kind of normal cheese pizza flavor or, you know, sausage or whatever flavor it was that I made as the other pizza. So sometimes you might surprise yourself and just think outside the normal flavor. And that's a way that if you're, you know, my sister's family does pizza every Friday night. That's kind of their thing. So they make homemade pizza. And that would be a great way to mix it up a little bit and use different things and maybe encourage your family to try different flavors is to put it on something familiar and something that they're used to all of the time. That you something that they're used to eating all the time. So good tips. Good tips all around. The next one is about uh doubling recipes or yes. tripling recipes or quadrupling recipes or Depends on the size Just of your family. Just making a big pot. Since there are only two of us, most recipes are already doubled. But <laughs> like this pot of chili I made is huge. I mean, because we were going to take it to a potluck for, you know, I don't know how many firemen there are, but I made it in a huge Dutch oven. So we're going to have chili probably for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the winter. But I'm going <laughs> to freeze it. The winter. I'm going to freeze it up in containers that um, will probably be a meal or two. And then I'll have quick meals in the fridge for, I'll just pull them out in the morning someday when we're going to be busy and then leave it on the counter and then pop it in the pan at um, dinner time. And soups in particular are super easy to make and freeze. So whenever you're making soup, you should at least double or triple the recipe because they freeze so well. But yeah, double, triple. And then learn how to maybe eat things later on in the week so that they don't taste like you're eating the same thing all week. Sometimes I don't mind. Like mm-hmm. I don't mind eating a bowl of chili a couple nights during the week. That right. doesn't bother me. Especially if it's good chili. Exactly. But there are other things I probably wouldn't want to eat every night, but you can make it a little different. So you have chili one night and then maybe the next night you make baked potatoes and you put a little bit of chili on top of the baked potatoes and then some cheese on top of that. So it tastes a little different. Um, learn, or you could make a chili lasagna. So instead of like a Italian style lasagna, you could do cheddar cheese and beans and that kind of stuff and make a chili lasagna instead. Um, that kind of thing. Just think outside the leftover, your normal yeah. bowl of chili. 
popping it in the microwave and heating it up. Exactly. Yeah. Do something um, interesting with it. Yes, definitely. Um, and that's something you need to learn how to do if you're going to cook double or triple, I think, because nobody wants to be eating the same leftovers day in and day out. And then when you do get it out of the fridge, so you make a bunch of chili, then the next week when you get it out of the fridge, you're not eating a bowl of chili. Maybe it's not that you're eating chili three times in one week, but it's, you know, once a week for a month, but then you're not eating a bowl of chili once a week for a month mm-hmm. either. So. And freezing it in serving sizes too is a good yeah uh a find good containers tip. that end up making it i have these um they're smaller than a loaf pan but they're glass pyrex containers and if i freeze soup i know kind of the level i need to fill it up to in order to make two bowls of soup and it's the perfect amount which is nice because then i don't end up with little bits of leftovers here and there and mm-hmm. i've learned over time how much i need to put in there um, let's see what else. And also cookies, cookie dough. Yeah. So make up a double batch of cookie dough and you can either freeze the dough. And one thing you can do is I use, if I'm making cookies, I use an ice cream scoop as a, like a, one of those spring loaded ones to measure out. So all the cookies are the same size. So they cook evenly. And sometimes I'll just measure out the dough on a cookie sheet and freeze it in the little balls. And then you freeze those in a container. And then if you want just a couple cookies, you just pull out the number that you want, you know, and bake them. Or you can freeze the cookies already cooked up. But but it's kind of nice to have fresh, you know, cookies straight out of the oven. Freshly baked cookies. And, and that's that a good way to do that without having to make a whole huge batch right. um, at once. Or if you just want to make one cookie sheet full freeze the rest of the dough but that's another thing you know i mean it doesn't take any longer to mix up a double batch of cookie dough and have it in the freezer so and then you're not tempted to as we are whenever we make big batch cookies eat eat all the cookies in two days days. (laughs) exactly (laughs) well i'll just have another half cookie and another quarter a cookie and another half a cookie and next thing you know they're all gone yeah so it's a good way to do to kind of portion control as well if you're talking about cookie dough and that kind of thing (laughs) or not yeah or just cook them all up and eat them all and eat them all (laughs) (laughs) and then cook it and this kind of goes along with what i did what i talked about before as far as maximizing time in the kitchen so cooking something else while you're cooking your main thing um Cook up extras of things, staples, and keep them in the fridge and know what you have in there and what you can use them for. So in the summer, and mine always depends on what's fresh in the garden. Mm -hmm. And it's usually onions and peppers or leeks, um, sweet potatoes, stuff like that. Um, It depends on what's fresh. Sometimes celery, onions, and carrots. Um, Cook those up at the beginning of the week and then you have them ready and waiting for omelets because we eat eggs every morning for breakfast or to mix in with potatoes or whatever and then they're ready and then you know in the morning if you need a quick breakfast you don't have to it doesn't take as long to make an omelet for breakfast if all everything's already cut up you whisk up some eggs you throw it in a pan and then you've got all the ingredients already in the refrigerator waiting to be thrown in an omelet so then it doesn't take as long and then you're eating a really good healthy 
breakfast with vegetables and protein instead of feeling like you need to reach for something quick and instant like cereal because and it doesn't take any more time really Mm -hmm. because you've already taken the time to make up all that stuff in advance so that's and then you start to look at these different things that you're mentioning and you start to see them combining so Mm -hmm. as you're cooking onions for one meal you could cook a double or triple batch of onions put those in the fridge within which then you can use later on right um or you know while you're cooking something else you could be cooking your onions as you mentioned earlier which then you're saving time later on when making your omelet and then at the end of the week if you don't use you know your onions and your peppers and your potatoes that you uh cooked up just while you're doing other things, then you take all those things, you throw them in a cast iron skillet and you have a hash. Exactly. Put some cheese over top of it and, you know, some sort of a sauce and some spices and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're good to go. So it's interesting how all these things then start to work together. Right. And that's kind of, and I'm, people ask me a lot of time about menu planning and if I do menu planning and I really don't because I'm more... Cooking is very creative for me, and it kind of goes a little bit with how, what I feel like eating, what I have in the refrigerator coming ripe in the garden, what I find at the farmer's market. So I don't necessarily, you know, some people want to sit down and plan out a menu, and then they go to the grocery store, and then they go shopping for those items, and then they cook those items. That's not how I cook at all, because for me, it is a creative process, so I have to... um feel like making something and eating it in order to eat it. My luck, I would buy stuff for lasagna and then I would be like, mm, I really don't feel like lasagna tonight, right. you know? Yeah. So I just kind of cook with what I feel like eating. Some days is are those days where you want a really hearty bowl of chili. Some days you just want a light soup. Um, and then you don't run the risk of having ingredients for stuff that you then don't feel like making. So, um, and I kind of think about things a couple days out as well and that helps when you're doing this whole cooking thing so like i made chili the other day and as i was making chili i was thinking to myself do i want to make pizza later on in the week because if i want to make pizza later on the week i'm gonna cook extra onions and i'm probably gonna soak some extra pinto beans um because then i could make some sort of a mexican type hash with some pinto beans in it or maybe i just want to soak double the pinto beans and cook them And then put some pinto beans in the freezer so that if I want to make refried beans next week, you know, with some taco seasoned meat, that might be really good. So as you're cooking, think through all of the possibilities with the ingredients that you're making and think about whether or not you want to make those things later on this week or next week or whether you want to have that as a staple in the freezer. So I didn't end up cooking any extra pinto beans. I did cook all of the ones that I made, but because I made such a huge batch of chili, I didn't. But I was thinking to myself when I did, um, after I cooked the beans, well, maybe I should have cooked more beans so I could have refried beans because that sounds really good. Refried beans with some uh, cheese on top and um, some onions and that kind of stuff, you know, as like a really good meal later on in the week or even a breakfast with an egg on top. But And I didn't end up cooking extra onions because I thought, no, I'm not going to make pizza later on in the week. But if I was going to make pizza, I would have cooked some extra onions to go on the pizza. And then um, the other morning we had mushrooms for breakfast. I would have cooked extra mushrooms Mm -hmm. um, 
yesterday morning as well to go on the pizza. So then when I wanted to make the pizza, it would be super quick because I'd already have the ingredients cooked and in the refrigerator. So that's kind of how thinking about thinking a couple meals ahead or a couple steps ahead is one way to be able to do that. Because you kind of have to think that way, I think, when you're trying to maximize and save time. And that kind of all revolves around the point, too, of... Because we've had friends in the past that, like you said, they would they would basically run out, you know, we need something for dinner tonight. So they would yeah. run to the store and buy the ingredients and then mm-hmm. come home and make it. Um, but having a, a well-stocked pantry, which is kind of your final mm-hmm. your final tip, I mean, that, that really helps out in all of these things. Right. Um, especially when it comes to you know, the, the spices and the things that make it mm-hmm. good and unique. I mean, obviously, sometimes you can't keep the, uh, you know, meat around for too long if, unless you're freezing it or those types of things. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, even then you can right. freeze a lot of these things and, and have the, the staples, the basic ingredients, right. you know, around and ready to go so that uh, you can have, I mean, you could probably walk into our kitchen now and make 10 different kinds of meals and Mm -hmm. even at that then make probably you know 10 different variations of those meals Mm -hmm. just by what we have you know the meat in our freezer and the ingredients in our kitchen and i think spices are key having a wide variety of spices so you can cook a wide variety of meals and so you have the spices that go with the things that you want to make um is key and that's one of those things you kind of save and collect and develop over time. So maybe one week you should go, you should make an Indian meal or decide that you want to make an Indian meal the following week. And so you need to figure out what spices you're going to need for that and then procure those spices. But then you have them on hand and you know in the future. And when you're making a curry, let's say, start thinking about, well, you know, curries are interesting because they're kind of like the hash of India. Curries include all sorts of different crazy things in them sometimes. I mean, you can have curried butternut squash soup and it's fantastic. You can have curried chicken soup and it's fantastic. Um, So that's another great way to learn different flavor and spice profile so you don't feel like you're eating the same thing because you could have curry chicken soup one night but then you could have chicken vegetable soup the next night and it's like you're eating a completely different meal even though essentially it's almost the same ingredients with just different spices mm-hmm. so developing and having a wide variety of spices and herbs is really important as well as a few key staples and that just depends on what you like to cook i do like to make curries and um thai kind of dishes so i always have those spices in my cabinets and i always have coconut cream which i can use instead of keeping coconut milk on hand you just kind of mix it with water so I enjoy that, so I always have that on hand, and I know if I get sick of eating whatever it is I'm eating or never now and then I'm just like, oh, we've had too much, you know, like normal American-style food. We need to have something that's a little Middle Eastern, so I'll make some red lentil dal or something like that, Um, and everything's on hand because I have red lentils in the pantry. Um, I have the coconut cream. I have all the spices. I have the chicken stock in the freezer, you know, and it takes... 
half hour, 45 minutes to make up. But everything's ready and there. And learning, I think learning um, things that you can keep in your pantry that cover a multitude of other products. Um, so coconut cream, I want to mention that in particular. Because coconut cream is interesting. It's kind of an expensive thing to keep in your cabinet when you look at it at the store and you see that it's expensive. But it replaces coconut milk. So if you've ever wanted to make something that has coconut milk in it, I never seem to have coconut milk in my <laughs> pantry, even back when I was buying it. And then I read about coconut cream and thought to myself, that's so much better to have because it's more shelf stable. It doesn't come in a can. It comes in a glass jar. I can get it um, from Tropical Traditions where I get my coconut oil from. And it's so much better because I can use it. You can just eat it like peanut butter if you want. If you like coconut, that's very good. Um, you can mix it with your peanut butter and it makes it healthy. And it's really delicious as well. But then you mix a couple tablespoons in your recipe that call for coconut milk. Add a little extra water. And then you don't have to keep canned coconut milk on hand. And then you don't open a can of coconut milk and use half of it like most recipes seem to. Right. And then you throw it in your fridge and completely forget about it because... You know, you're not cooking with coconut milk that often. So that's one of those things. Try to figure out those kinds of products where you can substitute one thing for another. Um, or use something like that in lieu of something else. Um, and keep that in your pantry instead of feeling the need to keep a ton of other stuff on hand. Like tomato paste is kind of a good example. You can keep a really good roasted tomato paste um, that you buy like in one of those little squeeze tubes. It's kind of like a toothpaste tube. And it'll take the place of a lot of canned tomato goods in your pantry. So then you don't have to keep a bunch of cans of tomato, like diced tomatoes and crushed tomatoes and that kind of stuff on hand. Um, one of your yeah. other favorites that a lot of people seem to just be blown away by is brown sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think you've mentioned exactly. on the podcast before. But Learning to make things. You don't always have, you know, staples aren't always staples. You don't need to keep them around. So I don't keep brown sugar around because I feel like I never had brown sugar when I needed it. Or if I did, it was always rock hard and not as fresh and difficult to measure. So I started making brown sugar. And not to mention, we organic. Um, so organic brown sugar is really expensive. But I would buy the evaporated cane juice in bulk from a local co-op. And then I buy the molasses. So you just mix molasses and brown sugar. Um, and you end up with no molasses, molasses and, and sugar. Mix it together and you end up with brown sugar. And it's wonderfully fresh. Really delicious brown sugar tastes better than the stuff you buy in the store and it's organic and you're saving tons of money because organic brown sugar is ridiculously expensive mm -hmm. and you can make powdered sugar in your blender with regular sugar throw it in your blender and blend it up you have to, i mean you know if you have a really crappy blender it might not work you're right. <laughs> but most blenders should be able to do that baking powder is the same thing you don't need to buy baking powder if you have baking soda and cream of tartar on hand you just need to mix those. I think it's two-thirds cream of tartar and one-third baking soda. And that's baking powder. So you just, whenever I have a recipe, if it calls for a teaspoon of baking powder, I put in 
you know, roughly a little bit less than two thirds cream of tartar and one third teaspoon of baking soda instead of having to keep baking powder on hand as well. Mm-hmm. So learning those little things, researching whenever you don't have an item, get on the internet and search around and you're going to find some really interesting ways to get around having that um, be a little more creative in the kitchen. And don't be afraid to just try some of those things. I'm always looking for ways to not. For example, I made this cake that I make sometimes for a party a couple months ago. And I didn't have any uh, bar chocolate. So like, um, I don't know, just like a regular bar of dark chocolate to make a ganache frosting. Um, And I was like, oh, there's got to be a way that I can make this without a bar chocolate because I really wanted to make it but I wasn't about to run out to the store and living rurally makes <laughs> makes this more of a necessity makes this more of a necessity because it's not just like to run to the store in five minutes but even in the city it takes you longer than five minutes to run to the grocery store so I looked on the internet and sure enough I found a recipe where you just use butter and I think butter and cream and cocoa powder and some sugar to make ganache and it made fantastic ganache i'm never going to use a chocolate bar again because when you make it this way it has fewer ingredients in it you don't have the soy lecithin in there that you have in the bar chocolate and it's way cheaper so and it tasted fantastic every bit as good as the ganache you make with a really good expensive bar of chocolate so sometimes necessity is the mother of invention or you know kind of but googling and you figure out something and you think you learn a a new easier way so now i i mean i keep some chocolate on hand for us to eat but it's not the kind that you would make ganache out of but i always have cocoa on hand so now i'm never going to buy a bar of chocolate to make it again i'm always going to make it this other way because it's better and then i don't have to buy another ingredient in order to do it so so any other tips we've run through the list that we had prepared um, Any other things that you can think of? I think that's a pretty good list. I mean, that's enough that even if somebody implemented one or two of these, I think they would be uh, well on their way. I think um, one of the keys is also to, we talk about being mindful and simplifying, and I think that that comes into play in the kitchen too. And I love to cook, and I love to cook really interesting intricate meals sometimes but you can't do that every night um last year for christmas i bought a standing rib roast and we had a standing rib roast in yorkshire puddings and i made oyster stew and the whole like classic wonderful meal which was fantastic i mean it was all simple food but you know it takes a long time to make a meal like that um but a simple pot of chili super simple Super delicious, super healthy. Um, I don't know that one is better than the other. One definitely took a lot less time than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Simple. And be mindful when you eat. Enjoy your food because you take lots of time to prepare it. So you might as well enjoy it. That's right. And that's, I think, sometimes where you learn the subtleties of what goes well together. When you're eating something really... Focus on what you're doing and try to notice what flavors you like, what flavors you don't like together. And that's one thing that I do. I've 
kind of developed a really good palate for tasting things in dishes for figuring out what something needs in order to round it out and make it better um and put it over the top you know up to where it needs to be as a sort of just instead of just being a, it's good but it's not like amazing right so being mindful when you eat really helps um try to figure out because if you cook something when you're eating see if you can taste the time in there or the sage uh, as opposed to and think about you know that meal versus another meal so think about uh you know butternut squash soup with chipotle as opposed to maybe a curried butternut squash soup and figure out whether you like one more than the other or what you like about one versus the other or you know appreciate the subtleties and the differences in the two and what makes them different and what makes them good Sounds good. All good tips. Uh, and I just think, I don't know. Hopefully that's a... Yeah, relax and have fun in the kitchen. Yeah. Hopefully that's a lot of uh, good information that people can implement. Um, and don't let yourself be... Um, don't get tunnel vision to recipes. I mean, follow recipes, but that's where the mindful eating comes in. And then taste it. See if you can taste all the different things and try to figure out. Because when you do that, you're going to figure out later on. Well, I think I like marjoram more than I like um, thyme with chicken. Or maybe I feel like there should be more marjoram or more savory um, in my sausage rather than less uh, maybe a little less sage maybe you don't like sage as much as the next person so you cut back on the sage when you're making something but that's where you know let recipes be your guide but try to taste and see and then maybe the next time add a little bit more and don't be afraid to do that and sometimes yeah you screw things up but you get some chickens and then you can feed it to the chickens <laughs> <laughs> so Moving on to uh, the books of the week, this kind of goes along with the theme of thinking outside of the normal. Um, we had talked about in the past, and we still it's still in the books. We're still planning on someday getting rabbits, and so I've uh, I've subscribed to a couple blogs and a podcast about rabbit raising, and uh, uh, had a really interesting. Um, recommendation for a book from Rise and Shine Rabbitry. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick, who we had been talking to about getting rabbits, um, he co-authored a book called Beyond the Pellet. And as you can imagine from the title, it's about uh, not raising your rabbits on, you know, pellet feed from the store. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm about halfway through the book and it's just really great because they, I mean, they start right off with saying, why is pellet feed so popular, you know? Mm -hmm. And it became popular when Purina started producing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, oh, well, it's such a balanced diet and everything else. Um, and it and it is to a certain extent, but is it the best that you can get? And they even say in the book about how, you know, with human food, for human consumption, how processing, every time something is processed, something is taken out of it or mm -hmm. something is destroyed because of the processing. And uh, wouldn't it be better if, because uh, they, they say it in the very beginning about, you know, raw foodists and how, um, and we're like that to a certain extent. We eat as many things raw as we can, but we're not 
you know, super strict on that, right. obviously. Um, but, you know, the more raw you eat something, the more uh, nutrients it contains because it hasn't been cooked. It hasn't been, like I said, processed. Things haven't been taken out of it. Um, so they say, you know, we need to go with a, a raw food diet for our, our rabbits, too. Mm-hmm. Um and then go into how to do that. So it's just a really great book and a um, a good series too. It's actually the book is part of a series um, on uh, backyard rabbitry. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, um, and you can click on that, um, and it'll take you over to Amazon. And I, I did want to mention too, uh, just briefly, that uh, so far our Amazon affiliate links are still working. So uh, as far as we know, up to this point, keep buying and we'll let you know if anything changes um we're not quite sure what's going on with that we sent in all the forms and stuff that they wanted and they haven't shut down our account yet so so keep using the amazon links because that helps us out um Mm -hmm. and and also you know if you want to make a donation you can always Mm -hmm. do that to the show we'd really appreciate that i know with the holiday season coming up money's going to be tight but uh why not make a, a donation to the show one of the gifts that you request uh, from your significant other, that would mm-hmm. that would mean a lot to us. Uh, you can do that by going to cultivatesimple.com or chiotsrun.com and looking over in the sidebar and either setting up a monthly donation of five or ten dollars, uh, or you could just do a one-time donation. We've had fifty-seven episodes now, so uh, wow. if if this time, this uh, hour and hour an hour and seventeen minutes that you've spent with us today uh has been worth a dollar then then why not give us 57 dollars one for each episode unless there were a couple real stinkers in there which you know i thought we had a stinker last week but we got a lot of really great comments and feedback on it (laughs) so i don't know it's always we're just both really tired last week yeah i'm a little tired this this evening we went snowshoeing this afternoon and spent a lot of time shoveling a foot of snow this morning so i was I tired until, i don't notice it until i sat down and then i'm kind of like wow i'm really tired well we sat down and here on the couch and we started watching uh uh what's this one called edwardian farm yes yeah edwardian farm on youtube and uh halfway through the episode i think i pretty much fell asleep mm-hmm. um which was all right because now i gave me the energy to do this tonight <laughs> <laughs> so all right that's it for this week uh until next week Get in the kitchen and make something fun. I'd rather be a farmer. I'd rather work the land. I'd rather see the mountain sides. I'd rather see your hand. I'd rather swim the ocean. I'd rather not pretend I'd rather do some thinking now Somehow it all depends If I could fly Go to fly away. 
I'd rather see my hometown. I'd rather hold my wife. I'd rather never question things. That's the story of my life. I'd rather not be crying. I'd rather just be whole. Rather brave the cleansing fire. I'd rather feed my soul. If I could fly away from me, to ride this wind above the trees. I'm crying out to you. I'm ready to be finished here. I'm ready for this season to be If I could fly away from me to ride this wind above the trees, and go to Face the longing.